Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I'm joined by Brian Fox. Brian is a guest I really enjoy uh, chatting with related to anarcho-libertarian thought. So, of course, this is a political episode. If you are a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Go ahead. We were joking right before we started recording, and I said, can I get a sound test? One, two, three. I said, one, two, three, four, who do we cheer for? And then I said, RFK Jr. (laughs) And, you know, that's kind of a hot-button topic within the liberty world for someone such as myself. As of today, which we were recording the episode, Sunday, June 25th, 2023, I am a supporter of RFK Jr., and I'm publicly now a registered Democrat. I look forward to voting for him in the primaries against Biden, and many within the liberty world are really picking that apart, and that's okay. Not specific to me. I haven't really seen it. And for the record, this is not an RFK episode. (laughs) No, it doesn't have to be. It's an interesting interesting topic. But we are going to go down the rabbit hole of your beliefs, and RFK will come up in that, I'm sure, and that's perfectly fair. And you are actually interviewing me today. I am, So you feel free to to drive the ship as much as... I would not even say we're going to interview. I think what we're going to do is we're going to shift the focus on you and let you explain your background and your journey, and then we'll compare it with mine love it and see where we go from there because it was all started on me asking you once or twice maybe a few times about anarchy and uh it's not a new subject to you you're familiar with it to some degree a few years in and um for a lot of people that don't know there's a lot of different misconceptions about what anarchy actually means there's the uh 
the meme of the Wild West where – are we good on here? Yeah, it's okay. looking good. Okay. I, I, I do look occasionally make sure to make sure the levels are good. But, yes, you sound great. Okay, cool. Just side note for everybody, we're kind of looking at the equipment here. Um, long story short, Anarchy is got a lot of um, – it's got a bad rap because of the way it's portrayed in pop culture and through ignorance of a lot of different people who talk about Anarchy in terms of, you know, chaotic society – the wild west and um you know there's just a lot of misconceptions about it um i will say for me personally um anarchy was not something that i openly embraced up front there was a lot of issues that i had with it and i'm sure a lot of issues that everybody else shared and that's perfectly fair i think the issue is not so much what is the problem with anarchy it's how what do you understand about it what do you how do you reconcile your concerns with the prevailing prevailing narrative of what anarchy is and that's kind of the core we're going to aim for is we're going to go into a little bit of your background of what brought you to liberty sure where you're currently at where we're going to go from there and then we'll touch on the principles of anarchy and see how you feel on those and maybe if we have time we can go down a couple rabbit holes i love it so the, the start would be how i came um, Which I believe is COVID is your was your juncture. Uh, prior to COVID, I was a typical Republican who did always think you know weed should be legal. I never had a problem with gay marriage. My father is a Republican um, and always has been. Who has always taught me, of course, a white male who's always been Republican has taught me that gay marriage is fine, and you know. Weed legalization would be better for society, things like that. So that was the brand of. And Republic. what did you think of that? <laughs> what did, was that was that blowing your mind? Was it kind of like, eh, whatever? No, I I, I, I never was raised to think that homosexuality was bad or anything like that. My mom's more of a leaning more to the Democrat side, and she's very open with everything. And then my father is the white male Republican that I'm exposed to the most. Great man, in my eyes. And he was always telling me, you're going to work with people who are gay. And some of his friends were gay. And he took pride in that. And it wasn't like he was doing it to, for social justice warrior, like a show thing. He just taught his two sons that. My brother would say the same thing. So that was the brand I'm of... I'm imagining you're growing up in the 90s. Correct. Born in 83. So that's about the time frame that it was more normalized and openly accepted. In the late 80s, sure. it was still a thing. There was still a stigma. It wasn't until the mid-90s that that stigma started to break. Mm -hmm. I don't remember a lot of emphasis on foreign policy at all. I went along with the 2003, you know, the Iraq war and, sure. and the war on terror. I, you know, I felt I like, I, I felt like, why the hell would we not? Yeah. Was my rationale. The propaganda was strong. I mean, there was no reason not that. There <laughs> Both was no, sides. There was no real counter argument. I mean, pretty much everybody was bought in on the war. So it's like, it really, you would, um, honestly, to speak out against the war in the early 2000s, you had to be an oddball, crack job, slash principal, or a principal person. Harry Brown yeah. or Ron Paul prior Very to that. Very few people had any cojones to really speak out against the war in any meaningful way. I didn't really know much about Ron Paul prior to COVID, I don't think. I never even heard of the guy prior to 2008, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, my exposure was the 2008 campaign. Um I might have vaguely heard some references to him, but it really wasn't until he started campaigning that he came up. And um, I guess know. I did know that Rand Paul was his son, so I did know that. I didn't even know about Rand Paul until he ran for uh, Senate in 2010. Okay. 
So I, I was familiar with the fact that our two senators were Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell. Well, actually, at the time, it was somebody else. It was that baseball guy, I believe, Jim Bunning. Bunning. I think, yeah, yep. I think it was the original. That's who Rand Paul replaced. Mm-hmm. So, so going through the mid-2000s, where were you at? Were you pretty open-minded? Were you pretty much apathetic? Where were you at in the mid-2000s? Good question. Um, I graduated high school in 2002. I, of course, never wasn't around a bunch of racism, I guess. I did grow up in Oldham County, and there was probably some people who would joke about some racial things, but it didn't seem, in, at least in my mind, to be a big issue. Um, I, I considered myself open-minded. I went through you know, phases where I'd go travel around with string cheese incident, which is basically like the Grateful Dead. And I mean, I, everybody likes to think of themselves as open-minded, um, but I was socially pretty liberal, I would say. And so I you always have no problems with like say drugs and you know no not say, you know homose- openly homosexuality lifestyles and things of that nature. Nope, I never have never went through a phase where that was an, okay. I had a problem with any of that. So socially, okay. I was always so, so you I were did not a cultural conservative. <laughs> hmm. Or but maybe yeah. in your own personal beliefs, you were, but you didn't, but you were very open. You were very tolerant and accepting of people. Yeah, I never it. put a lot of thought into it. Okay, I never had a problem with the nuclear family or anything like that. I never thought, you know, households are better without a father around or anything crazy like that. I always saw the value of a good father, which I would say today that's a big part of being. Would a Would you say you were maybe more passive in these years? Passive politically, certainly. I didn't okay. care. I, I never wanted to have children. So what point do you think you started tuning in? Politically? Mm-hmm. I do remember around 2009 and 10, after my kids were born, they were born in 2008 and 2009, waking up before going to work at a bank, drinking my coffee and watching Fox News. Okay. So that's the Fox News kind of tr- got a little bit of triggers going? Yeah, I guess so. And that's probably when, so that's when Obama assumed office. So I'm assuming the anti-Obama, anti-socialism rhetoric was pretty hot. Yeah, but I wasn't even big on the anti-socialism rhetoric even then. I wasn't. Um, I, you know, I wasn't real well read. I didn't pay attention in high school. Do you remember anything about the Tea Party? I remember hearing some about it and it okay. making sense. All right. So you like, so you heard it from the Tea Party and you identified some, to some degree with the Tea Party. Correct. Okay. I wasn't sure what type of a Republican I really was, but that was the news my father watched. I watched Fox News for a period, and I enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, So I'm assuming that at this point you were still probably mostly solid national security, you know. Yeah. You probably had a measure of you support the war. You just want it to be done smartly is my guess, that kind of stuff. Very. That's what I would have supported. You know what's funny? This is a good exercise that we're doing this. (laughs) I remember saying... (laughs) (laughs) i remember saying stuff like yeah the government can look through my phone and my computer well i'm not i'm not a pedophile i'm not hiding anything why 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 would i hide from them who cares they're not coming after me for those who don't know i just raised my hand i'm the same way like when the patriot act came out i defended the patriot oh my god how horrible so even when i think it was in the 2005 time frame when I think it was Snowden originally exposed um, the uh, prism, the widespread surveillance, I was like, I see no problem with this. I, those who have nothing to hide have That's, nothing. I was strong on that too. Yeah, I literally... I was, I was all about that. So I have thought about that recently, that I felt so passionate about like what kind of conspiracy... And I made fun of conspiracy theorists. Right. 
Well, so this is back in the days when we still believe most of what's in the media and we don't assume that we're being lied to, at least not overtly. We do probably assume that there's a chance for getting facts or information wrong and that people are going to have biases and that's okay. But we don't really, at this point, most Americans don't have the assumption that there's a narrative of control going on. They don't realize that you're being manipulated. And I was one of them. I kind of thought that pretty much what I saw on the TV was mostly true with bias. As I used to always say, um, I have no problem watching Fox News or MSNBC because I can filter out the spin and decide for myself. Only years later would I come to the understanding that, oh, wow, they're literally making shit up and ignoring things at the same time. So, and arguably trying to distract you from things that... So they're talking about something that is just... Maybe there's something to it, but it's not important. Oh, they're, they're blowing it up to keep you from focusing on something else. Red team versus isn't. blue team. And yeah. it's... So, so yeah, I remember watching Fox News. I remember buying into the pro-military stuff. Patriotism was something that I, I would take pride in more yeah. so then. Um, not saying that I'm not proud to be an American today. That's an interesting topic. I'm not saying that. Um, but I have a different thought about it now, yeah. especially after watching this 10-part uh, Ken Burns documentary about the Vietnam War. Yeah. So <laughs> I, what would you say is your next, what is the next step? What is the next evolution for you? What is the next turning point you remember experiencing? I remember 2006. So, okay, that was a little prior. I do remember the entrepreneurial stuff. I was always big on capitalism. I remember reading like the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Robert Kiyosaki and, and being very interested in rental properties. So economics are a basis for a lot of your views, I'm, I'm going to sense here. For whatever reason, my father's a business owner. My grandfather on my dad's side was a business owner. My uncles and aunts on my dad's side are entrepreneurial. I was always taught the, the path to prosperity is through uh, working hard. In our family, it's talking. Obviously, that's what I got into is talking, but um, it's through sales. And my father's an insurance broker, and he he does very well selling insurance. And his father was an insurance broker who did very well selling insurance. My brother, same thing. Where my uncle, you know, same thing. That's what we what we do is. So it's all through uh, the private market in in my mind. It's all through the private market. Um, and through that, and through um, taking care, I didn't put as much emphasis on the family back then. Until I had a family. I didn't want kids. I didn't. And then I, you know, didn't plan on it. I had a daughter and I, everything changed. But the net, okay, so to answer your question, after that <laughs> Fox News, waking up, watching Fox News while drinking my coffee prior to working a horrible job in a local bank. Oh, my God, that was miserable <laughs> um, for years. Then my next thing is I would, I would get engaged around 2014 or 15 when the Trump stuff came up. And I thought it was fucking hilarious. So that's I thought, when you got pulled into. That's when you got pulled into. You're thinking is when Trump announced. Yeah, everybody's calling him racist. I'm like watching the clips that they were calling him racist. I'd watch the unedited clip, watch the clip that CNN was playing, and I remember thinking like, hey, everybody's a bunch of fucking idiots. <laughs> they all are trying to say he's racist. Is he an idiot? I, you know, yeah, he says dumb shit. But I mean, if that's what racism is, editing a clip to make it sound like he's worse than he is, and then. Speaking so, as it's a so fact that so, he's a Nazi. So right away, your BS meter was triggered. It was entirely triggered. I was like, half the country's a bunch of fucking idiots. I was like, what is this? And and I, I bought it. What did in- you think about what he was saying in terms of regards to like, um, let's just say um, trade 
the border, mm-hmm. national security, a few of his big hot buttons. Yeah, I didn't care. I never cared much about the the wall thing. Okay, what about immigration in general? What did you think about that when he was talking about that? Didn't have strong opinions on it, I don't think. So you never really cared about whether we were having a flood of migrants and how they were affecting our economy and I don't think I society. did. Nope. So what about um, what are you saying about the wars? Did you did that resonate at all with you? Like, you know, there, we're in a lot of foolish wars, and we need a. I, I heard him talk about some of the organizations we were involved in, how we were paying for the the entirety. What was it? The uh, NAFTA, uh-huh. and and he would say, "Wow, we're paying all of it." And I like that. I'm like, "Why would we pay for these other fucking countries right. and stuff like that?" But as far as war, maybe he said some anti-war type rhetoric that I thought was good, sounded good, but it never. So still. nothing. So so it sounds to me like nothing of what he said really caught your ear as much the only thing that really you found of any concern was how he was being portrayed by the media that's what got you the most and he was funny and i did like how he called jeb bush out i loved how he would just just call i was like okay and i keep in mind i voted for jeb's brother and he was the president i mean i supported george bush george uh what was it hw bush the second one yeah um so it's really you're just kind of a spectator at I was point. just like oh this sounds exciting he's telling this guy off I like pe- seeing people get told off this guy's funny everybody's calling him racist doesn't really, look racist to but me but on a policy level on a thoughtful level you're not really pulled in yet other than drain the swamp and the shit he would say about like lowering taxes and stuff of course that okay probably liked the sound of that so let's fast forward a little bit Trump gets elected we see all the shenanigans going through in the first few years is there anything that's catching your ear that's making you think after Trump assumes the presidency? Yeah, I, I, I really focused and enjoyed hearing him talk about how the black unemployment rate was the lowest of all time. That caught your interest. Why? Because I, I'm convinced, and I still am, that the African-American community in our country is, is horribly exploited by the Democratic Party. <clears throat> In a bad, very, very, very malicious, That's, bad I way. Members and agree with that. Uh, very, very bad way. And yes. I'll just jump right into that because that is a topic that maybe a lot of people don't like to talk about, but I do feel strongly about that. I think business ownership, generational wealth, that's the way to go. None of the bullshit the Democratic Party pushes. More food stamps, more free health care, uh, colleges and natural rights. That's all bullshit. What fucking helps uh, generational uh, wealth with families, teaching people to be entrepreneurs, um, you know, that type of stuff. I know it sounds, I've talked to some of my lefty friends who would hear that and they'd say, oh, it's the old pull yourself up by the bootstraps argument. And it's, but you that's could re- stupid. But you could relate and it was something that you felt like was, it, it rang true. Yeah, I read some, some things about the uh, lack of the prevalence of black fathers in the black homes. And then I, I noticed that even of the fathers who were with the, the black homes, there was very small percentage of business ownership. Uh, I remember I foundationally for me put, put Politically, my opinions would be like rich dad, poor dad, that type of thought. And then I was like, okay, some black fathers stick around with their kids, and that's great. Of those, basically none of them try to own a business that they're going to pass on or take pride in paying off their house and passing that on. And that's a problem, and that's not being addressed. There's definitely a lot of emotion coming out from you on that one. So yeah. it sounds like there's a lot that you can both relate to and you're concerned about. doesn't mean I'm an expert on it. doesn't mean all my opinions are perfect on it. I'm convinced, though, definitively. Well, I think we can both agree that the only person who has a perfect opinion is myself. <laughs> only Brian Fox. <laughs> but um, for some reason, that was one that, yeah, that touched I, me. I grew up yeah. playing basketball. I'm a 5'9", 
white guy who grew up playing basketball. For some reason, I thought I should try. I was on the, good enough to make the high school team to be the last guy on the bench, but I grew up playing basketball at the YMCA with some black people, and, and I loved the NBA always and football sure. and, and the African-American culture. You know, I, I had some, you know, so still do very good friends that, that I, for some reason I was like, why, why is our whole country focusing on this? And it's being presented in a definitively inaccurate depiction. That's so my thought. So it sounds like up to this point, through the midterm of Trump's presidency and from your very beginning, very rooted in economics is a lot of the basis for how you're going to see the world and Correct. shape your worldview is based on economics, which I think is fantastic because it does affect so much in so many ways. Um, I would ask that, um, and it sounds like the domestic policies were never really much of a tug of war for you. So therefore you didn't really have to wrestle with that as much as other people who maybe come from a more traditional cultural conservative background where they have to sort of reconcile that. That's a bit of an issue for them, which it sounds like it was not for you. So you didn't have anything concerns about that. For example, what? No, talk about like say drugs and sexual preferences, lifestyles. There's Oh no, I've never cared. And I don't think my dad, as far as I know, the guy who influenced me ever cared about that in a in a way like, oh the gays shouldn't be able to get married or no you know, I don't know what angles. I, I honestly it's difficult for me to even fathom a legit argument why I should care what other people are doing. Let me ask you this. So we're looking at mid-2018, 2019, before COVID. We're in the middle of all the investigations, and we're seeing a lot of this stuff play out with Trump and Russiagate and all this other crap. Did you have any thoughts on any of that stuff? Did any of that... Prior to COVID. Did any of that... So how would you say... How What were your thoughts on seeing from both the initiation of the investigation throughout and then when it goes throughout his first term. Mm-hmm. Wasn't putting a ton of thought into it. It's assumed it was all bullshit. So you thought it was wrong, but yeah. you didn't really care too much, I guess? Witch hunt, yeah. Okay, so, okay, fair enough. I, Did for it some affect reason, your view of the government in general? Did you kind of feel like it, like, hey, I just always known these guys were a bunch of, you know, shady, you know, assholes or did it make you think like wow if they're doing this in hindsight i should have put some thoughts together like that didn't really um in hindsight i probably sensed that government was bullshit always okay i think that's fine uh uh, um but so it wasn't really triggered yet i guess not no i guess not should have been (laughs) so you're still pretty so for the most part other than economics which resonates with you the most everything else you have a pretty steady kind of, you're observing, you're taking it in, you're acknowledging, but it's not triggering you. The only thing that's really at this point that's really resonating with you or really grabbing a hold is the economic factors, which obviously, as we've discussed. So if we were to progress through, I guess, if we want to just like, you know, knock down the door, COVID hits. And I'm going to guess that's kind of the turning point is my guess. I guess it is. I, I, it's difficult for probably, me to rehash prob- this. I prob- watched the Joe Rogan in 2016 or 2014. I signed my kids up for jujitsu. 2016, I started training. 2017, I started this podcast. So I had an outlet, hadn't done any political episodes. Um, but then I did have a, my, the reason I said that is I had a connection to watching Joe Rogan and being involved in that community. I think I watched... Maybe a Peter Schiff, Joe Rogan episode, does that sound right? But there's nothing that really comes to mind that's like, wow, this is, other than on the economic side, there's nothing that's triggering you in terms of policy. Right when COVID hits. 
Yeah. So that COVID is the COVID is the catalyst for change. I heard I think Peter Schiff or Dave Smith say Trump has already spent more <laughs> right then. So before COVID, we started spending so, yeah, in COVID, okay. he's already spent more at this point of his presidency than Obama did. So it's before even the BS of COVID, you're just thinking of the economics of COVID. Like Correct, March economically. April, I'm which, still looking which, at it through an economic... Thomas Massey was speaking out about, you know, Correct. we're going to spend that massive spending bill, so... What, when was the CARES Act? I think that was July. I that was... I don't um, know. No, yeah, maybe not. Sometime in I'm not later bad. 2020. We should have had our buddy Bill Schultz on for this, you know. We should have, Bill. He's very good at <laughs> He's that. He's a wealth of information on that. So, long story short... March, they prepare the initial COVID because of the lockdown. There's going to be the relief. And that's really kind of an ongoing saga. I think there was multiple bills that were being signed. In March 25th, 2020. So that yep. was quick. Yep. Now, I believe that was the one that Thomas Massey spoke out about in regards to we need to at least have a representative vote because they were just going to do like, you know, we're not even going to do anything. Largest spending bill in the we're history. We're just going to just wave it through. And, and I started to pay attention to stuff like that. And I, I was immediately like... Yeah, Trump's funny. I can relate to him. My family, the Dugan side of my family is Irish New Yorkers uh-huh. through Yonkers, New York. Irish Catholic family, a lot of kids, a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles all in there. So New- Donald Trump was a New Yorker. is, And for some reason, maybe that to me made him me think he's funny. He's an entrepreneur. And so I was a big fan, really. But then when I had someone say to me, hey, looks kind of like this guy's a fraud. And I started thinking, he's running our company, basically, our country, you know, if you're private market type thing. And I'm like, is that true? So, like, at some point, if I found out Brian Fox, you look at me, we're, we're in a business together. And at some point, I had a realization. I haven't paid close attention. Brian spent, oh, my God, what? where's he spending all this money? There'd have to be a point where you're like, is this guy full of shit? Okay, so I got to ask. I can totally appreciate that aspect. Okay. But there's something else that happened that we totally glossed over that I've got to ask you about. Sure. The lockdowns. The lockdowns. How did you perceive the lockdowns? Oh, I knew it was bullshit. I told people I was training with jujitsu. Now, when you say you knew it was bullshit, what do you, do you mean like it's bullshit science? It's bullshit policy? What did you mean? What do you think you mean by bullshit? All the above? Like what? I I had a spidey tense sing, uh, tingling somewhere that said this is all a big i don't know if it's designed to get trump out it's all bullshit did you i never thought the virus was fake did you question the government's authority to do that was that a concern i started listening to tons at that time of uh libertarian thought and ron paul videos and i dived in i dove right in right when covid happened i was like so you were opposed to the lockdowns on principle? Immediately. Okay, it's so, all bullshit. I remember okay. telling my neutral jujitsu friend, and he was like, well, we don't know, you know. So you... It, we, it, it's dangerous. We got to be careful. And I was like... So you it, saw it this enraged, as, It enraged me. I was like, oh my God, this is all horseshit. And I would listen to, you know, Bashir talking, and I, but I had a reaction to that. So you saw it as clear government overreach. Yeah, but it did, still hadn't quite... Put it together that it, the you were go- more concerned about spending, but you still had a problem with that. Yeah, and okay. I I didn't quite put my thoughts together about like being an actual anarchist, which I guess philosophically I to this day now I I am I think. Um, which we'll get, I, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny because I my experience was the opposite. I was more upset about the lockdowns than I was the spending, and I'll tell you why. Because I already. Ass- 
I already assume that that's how they're going to behave. I've already accepted that, you know, massive spending is just the nature of the beast. I didn't like it. I didn't realize I that, didn't that like Reagan it. spent oh, so yeah. much and shit yeah. like that. I didn't oh, really yeah. put much thought into it in that Bush did. And I didn't realize the Republicans spend as much and a lot of times more than yeah. the Democrats. I, I never had that conversation after, in my after, head. I was like, Trump, yeah. oh, my God, Trump's fucking us. And, and that sent me down the rabbit yeah. hole. Um, to me, it was But more I was also super angry. You already had accepted that, but I was also super angry about the lockdowns. I was teaching kids jiu-jitsu, going into my jiu-jitsu academy. I've taught ju- kids jiu-jitsu now for seven years, and I was teaching at that point two or three days a week, more than I am now, and I would go in there and have to teach on Zoom. Some of the kids would be wearing masks at their fucking house while watching the Zoom, <laughs> while watching the Zoom. And I was like, this shit's gone mad. Everything's <laughs> insane. This is fucking crazy. And I don't know. I, I should have been thinking all government is always bullshit. I should have. Yeah. Well, but I, I wasn't at that point still. I was just like, what the fuck's going on? Is the world coming to an end? Um, but so I was trying to the, maintain so, my, an so, optimistic you know, stance. And I, you know, I was probably relatively doing okay, you know, health-wise and stuff. But it really hit me hard. So it did, did hit me hard. The, the lockdowns uh, pissed me the fuck off. You're... Clearly enraged. Yes. <laughs> so the principle of the government shutting people down, telling people that they can't go to school, they can't go to work, they can't have a business, that for me was like a pivot point of realizing that we've just gone way beyond normal policy, that something else is we've crossed a threshold, a demarcation point of we're no longer approaching governance in terms of what is prudent according to the Constitution, even though technically speaking, it could be argued that we've already wiped our ass with the Constitution years ago through the, the war on terror, which is arguably absolutely true, but this was kind of just very overt. There was no more sort of like pretending, there was no more pretense of trying to abide by the Constitution. This was kind of a clear line in the sand of either you agree that the government has the authority to do whatever it has to do in terms of a crisis, or you agree that principles matter and this is absolutely horseshit. That sounds accurate. You, that was very well put. Um, that's why I enjoy episodes with you. I, I still wasn't, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, I'm open to this libertarian party. That has to be better. They, you know, and I, I hadn't even put much thought into war still. The war is pretty much over most people's minds at this point. <laughs> The war? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, for the most part, I mean, like, you know, it was kind of on the downslope. I mean, nobody was arguing about war anymore, even though it was still happening. Nobody. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's not on the forefront. Because de- Democrats and Republicans agree. No, but Why I would think, we talk about it? Democrats and Republicans. what we're seeing is for a period of about March up until maybe the beginning of June, the idea of policy affecting people in their private lives, government control, is like the paramount issue. For a lot of people. And this is where the, and I've literally in my own life have experienced people who I counted as friends, family, political allies who completely just showed their true colors in terms of your rights no longer apply when it's the welfare in my life. And I'm like thinking to myself, well, actually, that's the whole point of rights. Because once you justify taking rights for any reason, then you can justify taking rights away for any every other reason. You so. called yourself a libertarian prior to COVID, though. Absolutely. I, was, I became an anarchist in 2016 
after I resolved less of my fewest issues. For me, COVID was just more or less putting the rubber to the road and seeing a lot of my friends who were still liberty-leaning or in some ways even considered themselves, you know, respectable conservatives, constitutionalists, completely just show their true colors in terms of, well, this is a crisis and we just, you know, we have to do what we can and I'm thinking to myself, well, I remember hearing us talk about this a long time ago when it came to the war on terror, hmm. where we justified government overreach for the sake of safety and security. Mm-hmm. So this was like a no-brainer for me. What It just shocked me that after so many years of debating policy throughout the 2000s, hashing out ideas on what actually matters and how policy counts, and thinking that people on both sides are having rational intellectually honest conversations in many respects completely go out the window. Hmm. People lose their fucking minds. So people, I think initially the left lost their fucking minds with Trump. Trump broke them initially sure, in a lot of ways. Then COVID hits and it's a whole different level of crazy because at first Trump is going along with it, but then you have independents and libertarians who are like, wait a minute, you can't shut me down. This is like my life. And people are starting to realize, I think a lot of people are starting to wake up and realize that, hey, even though that this is a concern, we don't know what we're dealing with yet, and you're ruining lives over fear. So, In ruining the, the, the thing that I feel most passionate about, too, at that point, because small bi- it didn't shut my business down. We're a health insurance brokerage firm. Our business actually did well through the, the uh, COVID and the lockdowns. We, I got to work from home. Did In you- hindsight, personally, for me, it made my life a little Did better. Did you experience anything with friends and family or friends that or community in which if you weren't abiding by COVID restrictions, you were putting other people at stake and that your rights don't matter? Did you experience any of that kind of pushback? A little bit. How did that make you feel? Like in terms of how did you evaluate, you know, when people were saying, if you're not going to mask up, if you're not going to abide by restrictions, then you don't care about me and you don't care about society and you're a selfish prick. I remember walking at, uh, Iroquois Park with my mother in, I don't know, June of 2020 or something. And a guy drove by on a bicycle, had a mask, and he just, <laughs> my mom and I were not masked up, and he, he yelled at us, you two should be masked up, what the heck, what the fuck, or something like that. And I remember just thinking, like, I probably said something right then, like, He's lucky, like, I, he's lucky I didn't push him off his bike or something. I'm like, I, I, I know that sounds bad. I, violence is not good. Um, but that did bother me. I was like, what in the fuck kind of a pussy is so brainwashed? So it did resonate where I was like, I know this sounds harsh, but I was like, what a bunch of pussies. Yep. I just leaned into, I think co- what a bunch of bitches. Do you stand for anything? You, you can't stand for the idea of someone walking around the park? And then I would go to the... I would go to the uh, basketball courts. I had a son who is now 14, so then he was 11. Favorite thing to do is basketball. Walking in his dad's footsteps, trying to make it to the NBA. I would take him to the park. He couldn't go to the fucking YMCA to play. He couldn't go to school to play. And I would take him to the park to play where there's a goal, and they had it boarded up. Yeah. In my opinion, COVID was the end of critical thinking for a lot of people it separated the people who were still independents versus the people who were just going to go with whatever they're told to think. It seemed to be make a clear dividing because line. How can you think of this potentially dangerous virus? And Oh, by the way, if you just put your shirt over your face, 
you put on a flimsy cloth mask. If you just stand, you know, a little bit more than arm's reach away from somebody, oh, you're going to be okay. Yes. And, and What kind of absolute horseshit does anybody believe in that? And, and it, what did it end up being? Of people who got COVID, on average, it was way less than 1% who died. Okay. Let's imagine. I started having crazy thoughts at that point. Like, even if it was killing 25%, I don't think you should fucking be able to, well, well, here- to, to, to do, tell me what to do. I, I started having extreme thoughts where I was like, fuck you. And I was like, you guys are a bunch of bitches. I don't want anything to do with this. Um, um, and that, so I, it radicalized me, I guess. I don't know. I'm crazy. So I work in the hospital business. Um, I'm not going to say here for exactly what I do, but I'm in and out of a lot of hospitals throughout the state regularly. Okay. I was still working through COVID. We were among the exceptions. I was throughout many hospitals between Louisville, Frankfurt, and Lexington. At the height of COVID, when we're talking about, oh my goodness, you know, we're, we have to be careful about, you know, they're talking about ramping up for equipment, for, you know, sp- uh, you know, bed spaces. You know, we're worried about overflow. We've got to get ready to go. We're going to potentially activate the National Guard. We don't know what's going to happen. We think it's going to be the zombie apocalypse is what we're thinking is going to happen. The entire time, multiple hospitals had entire wings shut down just in case there was going to be this overflow. Never fucking happened. Didn't even come close. The worst expectations never happened. But what did happen was the media manipulated things like that in the stories, and they made it like, oh, my God, now if someone gets shot by a gun, they can't be seen because the— That the, was the Rolling Stone report where they try to talk about, you know, people that were just like, you know— But this narrative, not just the Rolling Stone report, it was— uh, pervasive people, even people, around here in louisville people, people, people that i knew were like, oh yeah don't be so selfish you're gonna yeah. end up hospitalized and that's happening and, and so there was a making, lot of make, basically making up shit so one of the tactics they were using is they were only giving they were being factual but they were not being truthful one thing people have to understand icus icus are filling up icus by design are not meant to take on a large group of people icus are traditionally more of a triage like a frontline care for Massive trauma and intense sickness. They're not meant for the general population. It's basically just a section for specialized care. Um, ICU actually can be expanded if they want to, if they needed to. They're by design. They're usually anywhere between, you know, 8 to 15 beds on average, depending on the size of the hospital. So, of course, when you have less than 20 beds available for an area, you know, when you're still counting traffic, drugs, um, violence, all kinds of stuff happening. You still have to account for all that. And then on top of that, the potential sickness, of course things are going to happen. If, if the capacity is normally, I don't even know what the numbers are going in. Yeah. If you're uh, normally it, at anywhere between 60 and 70%. If that's bump, a normal yeah. 2019 yes. number. Then you could say those exact same and numbers keep, now. And, and we're like, keep, hey, we're at 20, 19 and 20%. Oh my God. And then keep and in mind they're going like, to cite some facility like that's in BFE, Kentucky. Well, it's like, well, it's the only hospital within like, you know, 50 to 60 miles. Of course, it's going to be filled up because that's the only option that they have available. Yes. You it, know, it wasn't, you know, it was not in any of the larger hospitals in Louisville or Lexington or Frankfurt because they have plenty of facilities there. So there was a lot of exaggeration. To me, it was COVID was exposing the system and the lies and the manipulation for a lot of people to see very transparently. And where I said before is, I think it separates the people who were willing to apply critical thinking, regardless of their policy perspectives, versus those who weren't. And then the people who are willing to apply critical thinking were more open to seeing things in a different way than those who were before. 
Um, you can still hate Trump and still have critical thinking. You can, you know, be for Trump and still have critical thinking. So with that being said, COVID happens. We have a few months of that. And then something happens in June. Do you remember what happened in June? In June of 2020? Mm-hmm. What starts to begin? Uh, roughly June in 2020. Actually, it starts in May, I believe. An incident happens. The knee. The infamous the knee. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a whole another bag of worms, but that's where a lot of it starts. Okay. So that, so what are your thoughts on policing and the BLM riots? Good question. Because that's where a lot of the rubber meets the road on how do we approach policing? How do we approach social justice? How do we approach the justice system in general? Um, there's a lot that came out of that. And what were some of your thoughts? Let's just say from the time that you had Breonna Taylor, you had uh, George Floyd, you had the marches, the protests, the riots. Let, let's not single out the beginning. Let's just take that all kind of in and go through all the way up until, like, say, September-ish, after all, a lot of that has had time to manifest. What would you say was your overall view on that matter when it came to policing the riots how the government's response, what was your conclusion in later in the year by around September, October? What were you thinking at that point? The world's gone mad. The racial thing had already dropped. It had already been a concern of mine that the, for whatever reason, hadn't quite articulate or put together my thoughts about why, but for whatever reason, people were convinced that it's a good idea to try to make us into a race-type war-type situation, to really pour gasoline on the fire of racial tension, but specifically between African Americans in the United States and uh, Caucasian Americans. So we can leave out the Hispanics. My wife's from Cuba. That's all irrelevant. I'm talking specifically whites versus African Americans was the gasoline was being poured on. So I was already a big, uh, a very passionate um, person who is interested in that topic and, and had awareness about it in my mind and had opinions on it. I thought it was being overly sensationalized. Did you support one side versus the other or how were you seeing things? That it was all being manipulated. That it was all being manipulated. Okay? So I, so I was convinced 100% that it was all being manipulated. That, that 100%. Okay. Now, when I saw the George Floyd video... In the Breonna Taylor story, I have two guys I went to high school with who are the police officers uh, were there at the Breonna Taylor incident. So when I had those specific incidents, I was a big fan of we should look at each incident, okay? The George Floyd and the Breonna Taylor incident, I do disagree with entirely the policing of, and I did, okay? And I did. However, I was convinced that the entirety of the statistics were being manipulated and entirely dishonest. If you look at the numbers of African Americans who are unarmed, who are killed by police officers in our country each year, unarmed, it's like six each year, okay? We have 330 million people. And of those six, eh, some of them were like fighting the cops. They were unarmed. Some of them were fighting the cops. And, and there's a few definitively that are uh, uh, instances of police brutality and things like that. So I do remember um, learning more about no-knock raids. And I do remember thinking, oh, that is bullshit. And it, consistent with my thought that weed should be legal from a young age and things like that, I, I do remember saying, in this case, it is bullshit. I do acknowledge that. And then Amash and them were trying to push the, um, what is it called? 
the uh, Justice for Breonna Taylor, the Breonna Taylor Act. Yeah, which I guess Rand Paul really presented. Act, there was a few different people actually. Um, so let me ask you this: George Floyd, yes, the other side of the coin, yes. What were your thoughts on that case and how that was handled? Um, that that, that, situ- got, that situation in general. I did have an emotional reaction to that, and I, I, I thought, and to to this day, I still would say I think that cop who did that to him could be put to death. I'm okay with that. So you definitely believe in the death penalty? I haven't put a ton of thought into specifically that. Well, I mean, didn't I'm you just say t- that? just saying the emotional response Are you I had. You wouldn't be bothered by it, or you approve of it? Hmm. I I need to put more thoughts into the death penalty. That's okay. an interesting topic, well, but I'm telling you, that's what I experienced in 2020. Okay. And if, I if I found out that's what someone went to death for, where we have a video of them. Even if that guy was overdosed and stuff, I don't, I don't care. If while he's dying, you're not doing that to him. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's murder, regardless of of the fact that he was on all sorts of horrible drugs and he was possibly going to die. Even if that didn't happen, I don't give a fuck. He did that to him. We saw it, and he died right there. Right. If someone's going to be put to death, there's a, that's a good reason. So I did have, I did always feel that. I would Chauvin. say for me, um, so I resolved my issues on police after I resolved my understanding of natural rights in around the 2016 time frame with that when i saw what transpired with breonna taylor and with george floyd and then the the preceding protests and riots that were to proceed all throughout my thoughts that came what was paramount in my mind was this this is just further evidence of regardless of what you think about the individual cases in regards to say breonna taylor was she a victim or was she a perpetrator george floyd was he a victim or a perpetrator the police response to okay. me is what I focused on. And what, I, what my conclusion that I walked away with was all the more reason I don't want government police anywhere, anytime. Okay. You already had developed thoughts about this topic yes, prior to But that. it reaffirmed okay. for several reasons. One, I don't like the way the police handled situa- either situation mm-hmm. at all. And I don't like the way the police handled the riots in the, in the protests at all as well. So I realized, to me, this just affirmed what I already believed about the police in general. Also, the way that they handled the lockdowns. So they had no problem with arresting people. Going to church. Trying to, going to church. Having to run into that's business. That's a bad one. But they were willing to stand by and watch as businesses and neighborhoods and places were vandalized and people were being shot and stabbed, whatever, in the streets, mm-hmm. harassed. So to me, it just validated what I already concluded in terms of the state, the police, the government will only act in its own self-interest. Okay. It's not there to protect you. It's there to act in its own self-interest, which is the you know the politicians. Okay. In that respect, from that perspective, what would you say? Where are you at on that right now? Right now. Well, so looking back and what you know now, and we're this is kind of like maybe a little bit of a shortcut. Okay, so but we're skipping some time. That's a, okay. A little bit. But let's kind of use that as a basis for what are your thoughts on that in terms of policing right now? I also am entirely opposed to a monopoly on a police force. That's a perfect way to put it. By monopoly, you mean a government monopoly. A government monopoly where there's – you call that democracy, whatever the fuck you guys call it. I don't care. Right. Okay. Well, dem- oh, it's democracy. That The whole world – Word fucks a lot of stuff up, in my opinion. A lot of the cops that exist today are good men. I do believe that. Most, I would say more, more often than not, most people that sign up with good intentions to serve and protect. Some, I would agree with that. Some of the best family men that I respect the most in my life are cops. 
great families. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have very consistent views with me. Yep. Maybe not entirely evolved on that, this specific topic. There's a lot of sh- similarities and crossovers. There's a lot of, you know, we have a lot of shared interests and concerns. Agreed. This topic, though, I would say those good cops would make great privatized cops. <laughs> okay? So in a whatever you want to call it, um, utopian or whatever, anarcho world that I would dream of, which maybe will never come to fruition, those would be the people that I would say I would hire on my private police force. I would sign up for a monthly service that included putting out a fire or, you know, uh, police services. So you, I would sign up for one so where those com- people worked. I'd feel so very com- confident so having those people represent. with a privatized police service. Yes, definitely. Okay. I do not like the fact that if the chief of police for Louisville is... Uh, Answers only to a, an elected politician and not to the people. Yes, yes. In other words, if there's a problem, they're not answering to the customer. They're answering to the policymaker. 100%. And the policymaker only answers to the 51% who vote for him. Yes. Not the people who disagree with him and often suffer the most. And the propaganda that goes into the 51% of the people who believe it, vote for him anyways. I mean, the whole thing. Yes, I am now to the point where I'm like, the whole thing is all bullshit. And it's fed federal... I mean, Brazil, the, our dollar is headed to shit. And it's top-down, all this money... I know someone who's applying for rental assistance because they can't pay their rent this month. And it's the money's there. The city of Louisville's got a ton of federal money just sitting there waiting to give out to people right now. How do you feel about current police, though? What do you mean right by on that? that? So police officer arresting somebody for drug charges or for a, a gun or, let's say, you know... I would disagree with most police officers right now about this conversation, this specific conversation, for sure. I think someone should be able to sell crack cocaine in their house. Um, If they put someone in danger, then they should be, you know, I'm okay with them being held accountable. Define what you mean by putting somebody in danger. Good question. Um, They hurt someone. Okay. They physically hurt someone. Physically hurt someone, okay. Or maybe a direct threat even. You're making someone scare, legitimately scaring people without hurting them. You're off of your property. So you're you're, doing... Are you familiar with the concept of victimless crimes? I am. Okay, so the idea, with when, especially when it comes to drugs, is as long as there's consent involved, uh-huh. there is no crime. It's only when there's no consent or when there is an act Agreed. of an aggression. I, I like it. I'm with, I'm with that. So in other words, if... Then the question becomes, as we've seen in recent months with, you know, the whole, you know, child sex issue of age of consent, which I don't know if I want to go down that rabbit hole right this minute, (laughs) because that's a whole other rabbit hole. In regards to drugs, are you open to the conversation, which does lead to age consent, of understanding that there's going to be a lot of questionable ethics in terms of who's allowed to have access to drugs? Like... 18 years old, 16 years old, 17 years old, that that's a definitely going to be a valid issue to be concerned with. And, like, you know, are you okay with people's homes, like, being filled with narcotics, with little kids running around? Mm-hmm. The, the inevitable questions and concerns that the other side's inevitably going to raise, mm-hmm. which I would equate to is yes, no, I- it's no different than, like, say, for instance, my house. I have firearms in my house, and I have alcohol in my house. And a lot of people would think you having all those guns around your house is really dangerous and evil around your kids? Correct. Okay, so people do hold those opinions. I would say the answer to that question is 
It's not pleasant if there's going to be crackheads with kids around. I get that. Not a fan. <laughs> I am. Not, not ideal. <laughs> yeah, I don't even drink but alcohol. I, think, but I, but I don't even drink alcohol. I'm, I, no, I don't think that's good at all. At all. And I, and I think for, I just want to make people aware, this is not, when we're going to go to a lot of different, you know, points of discussion, we're not going to resolve a lot of these right now. Yes. It's a very limited time frame. We can probably do another episode because these rabbit holes run deep and they go in a lot of different directions. Um, I think it's just kind of like establishing a, a kind of a baseline for where you're working, where you're operating. That's from where, what, what I'm thinking. thinking. Doesn't mean I think these laws will be implemented next year if you vote libertarian or this right. is the way I think it's going to be in a few years even. I'm just saying that's where I'm at. I will say on the age of consent issue, a couple of years ago, I actually kind of thought that that was going to be something that was inevitably going to have to be resolved. I just didn't think it was going to come up as soon as it did. Could you elaborate? Age of consent is the idea of at what point is a person responsible legally within society liable for their own choices. And um, it's a high, it's a very, there's not a lot of, uh, I don't want to say common ground, but uh, for the most part, even within liberty circles, there's not a lot of agreement. Oh, yeah. And I would actually, I would submit that in my opinion, it's going to be from community to community that there's not going to be a universal response. Okay. Some communities are going to be more strict and some communities are going to be looser. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of ideas of basically in a, a truly stateless society, communities are going to have their own standards that people will voluntarily agree with, similar to like an HOA. Say, for instance, the HOA of my community will be very strict, very conservative-like. Maybe in another community, you'll be a lot more loose, a lot more liberal, but it's all going to be voluntary, meaning, A, you're choosing to live in this community, and if you don't like this community, you can simply leave this community go to another one. It's a lot different than America, love it or leave it, because that's kind of, you're talking about an entire continent, an entire country, and there's really not too many options, and there's a whole lot that goes into that. Consent is key. Um so when we're talking about age of consent, it's the idea and the understanding of what a person can really true choose for themselves and be responsible for. And it's in regards to alcohol, drugs, sex, um, contracts, all kinds of things. Being drafted in the military? Any of it. Even dra- well, I would say, well, even drafted. Service. Entering into service. Okay, maybe military. not drafted. But yeah, because drafted. Yeah, so... There's a lot that goes into that, and that could probably be a different discussion. Um, and, to- of course, that is a important topic, and it is one that I, for my personal life, I don't want my daughters, you know, I have a 16- and 15-year-old daughter right now. I don't want them dating some 40-year-old guy down the street. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't. Yeah. So I do have very strong opinions about that, but it turns into then a conversation of, uh, of um, what do you think, you know, how should that type of thing be enforced is really where it comes to it. Do you, you think the government should be involved yeah. in that? Let or me ask do, you or this. Not? Yes. What was your initial impression of anarchy? When the first, when you first heard anarchy mentioned in more educated forms, not just like from random internet memes. Yeah. But Good from question. educated Good people, question. when it was talked about, mentioned, heard about, whether whether it was a podcast or a I think it was Dave Smith recommending um, um, Anatomy of the State. Did you read that by chance? I have read it a few times. Okay, and what do you think of it so far? What are your thoughts, reflections on that? It's awesome. What are your concerns about it? 
about the state? Just my anarchy. concerns. Okay. Oh, oh. So uh, my introduction to anarchy, I would say, say was involved with reading anatomy of the state, just identifying what the government is. Okay. So when I was first presented with the, your, the answer to your question is the first intelligent conversation I had was it was uh, Dave Smith, I think, recommending I read Murray Rothbard's anatomy of the state. I was like, huh, is that what anarchy means? Kind of like a, okay, huh, huh, that makes sense. And, and then the thought process of, well, you know, I kind of thought that anarchy was communists or that doesn't <laughs> even make sense. Like, what the fuck? Uh, so then I'd find that like 80% of people who call themselves anarchists or more, I think, what are, your thoughts are communists. Yeah. So, what, so typically what really creates anarchy is taxation. Okay. Minus Involuntary. Tag, when you take away taxation, you, there's arguments to be made go for and against, but in my opinion, without compulsory taxation, there can be no state. Okay. You can have a governing system supported by fees as long as people are willing to agree with those fees, and then, you know, it just depends on whether or not it will be sustained or not. Um, some people just... You know, there's a lot of different ways anarchy can manifest itself, and there's a lot of different levels or at least uh, variations in which it could happen. Um, typically, as in my own case, the main hang-ups on anarchy are going to be immigration. Mm, okay, so you asked what my concerns were. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, immigration so like for you. Immigration, national security, policing. What were your hang-ups? What would, I see. What, what would you say are some of your concerns with anarchy? I bought in right away. Oh, really? Uh, I think... So you had I had no problem I, with any of that. You had no worries about like being invaded by a foreign enemy if we didn't. I thought have, about like, it, but I don't remember it being a concern. I don't okay. feel the United States is getting ready to be attacked. Cool. Um, I don't. You weren't I, worried about, say, a flood of immigration coming through, and I don't remember that being an issue for me. You weren't worried about a proliferation of narcotics, and you know. Sort of societal breakdown of any kind. I've thought, went through mental exercises through listening to podcasts and social media and learning about it uh, through pedophilia. You know, that's bad. Yeah. Pedophilia is really bad. Yes. If someone's fucking a little kid, that fucks that kid up for the rest of their life. They're going to be attracted to the wrong type of partner. They're going to be, they're going to probably, or maybe not probably, but there's a strong likelihood they will then abuse and then it just keeps growing. So and it's it more prevalent. Like, so it sounds like you came into anarchy, the, the idea of anarchy without a lot of baggage. You were very clean and very open to it. Unlike myself, who I wrestled with it. You wrestled with the, what was the, you, you said the main issue was For me, immigration. It was, like, it was immigration, national security. Um, policing, I actually resolved first. Policing, I resolved pretty easily. It was immigration and national security. That's a good question you're asking, though, is what? Okay, so you. Uh, uh, the idea, for me, the idea was well, so let's just say that eventually the federal government dissolves and we're you know either states or communities okay. to some degree who will well, protect us. We're in the we're in the begin. Well, let's just say we're about five to ten years in of the dissolution of the federal side. Okay, it's more states and communities. Okay, exercising various levels of freedom, mm -hmm. and then let's just say that for an adversary like. Let's just go with the boogeyman. Let's just go with, you know, the uh, devil's advocate argument. Let's just say China, Russia, whoever. Both so of them this together. Is, this is an opportunity time to, hey, there's no official leadership within the United States. It's pretty much, you know, each state for itself at best. That this was is a, a great time to make geopolitical moves around the world. They just you know, dissolved their whole country. 
So what do, you know, are we worried about an invasion? Are we worried about losing access to resources around the world? You know, what happens to us? Are we, you know, how do we resolve that? I do remember thinking about our military presence across the world and trying to come to grips with the realization through meeting my wife and learning more about poverty in other countries and how good we actually have it here. <laughs> and I didn't even really know that ev- everywhere else basically sucks. Um, that sounds really ethnocentric or something. Even spe- It's honest. Yeah. Compared to living here, there's other countries where it's good. I mean, an argument could be made that once we bring in all our troops and resources and assets home, and it's pretty much worldwide, every man for himself. That maybe we would stop. Uh, mentally, I had to come through the, 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 two, ter- the two, terms with the fact that we are, uh, our military presence is in part the reason the why we're, is why we're living this so great. It's because we control the whole fucking world. <laughs> and so maybe that would impact us and maybe it would, for the short term, minimize um, my 401k or, you know, um, or even, I don't know what'll happen to our currency. And, you know, I mean, it may, may, lead, may mean a little less prosperity for us in the short term. So you didn't have, so you don't have any concern about, say, China trying to take off a chunk of California, perhaps? Yeah, I don't. I, now, I may be naive. There could be a ex-military guy who comes on here and says, okay, well, you're wrong. They, yeah. So I don't know. I, but I don't think that would make sense. I don't see, I'm not, yeah. by no way so am I convinced. my answer to a lot happen. of those people is, think about it this way. Let's just assume the worst of intentions by foreign adversaries. Okay. Let's just say that China and Russia and a few other countries really have it out for us. And they see this as an opportune time. Let's just say it's we're a couple of years into it. There's no longer a federal government. There's no unified sort of cohesive strategy for self-defense. And they're like, this is great. Four or five of us, we can attack them from different angles and different ways. Outstanding. I think what people forget is like um, probably for the same reason no one's ever tried that before either because we have hundreds of millions of people with access to guns. Sure. We still have the military. Yeah. First of all. Yeah, tanks, we're not suggesting some world where there's no military. So tanks and airplanes don't just vanish. Yes. Aircraft carriers don't just vanish. You know, we still have... All those engineers who still, made all those weapons, they're still in business. We still have generations of people who have have firearms training, whether they're veterans, law enforcement, hunters, whoever. So we still technically have the largest available standing army. I just don't think that they would ever conceive that we're just going to basically lay down and be like, well, we can't stop this adversary. I mean, I don't know about you, but if we, we have the ability to see what's coming, we have technology. So if, if we caught wind that there was an invading force coming to Louisville, People like you and I would be like, okay, we're going to volunteer to stand ready to defend our community. You know, we don't know exactly how we're going to do it yet, sure. but we're willing to do it. Yeah. I'm sure millions of people would do that. So people just have this assumption that if you don't have a federally organized military, that somehow you're vulnerable, which I believe is either sheer ignorance or intentional propaganda to support oh yeah we have to have the big military that's i i came to realize also during this process that when i was a kid i graduated high school in 2002 with a 1.4 gpa 1.4 after four years of high school not a good student right you seem pretty intelligent to me 
<laughs> okay, yeah. Well, I, I thank you. Grades don't actually account a whole lot. But so. I was convinced the whole time I was in school that they didn't matter. Okay, and I didn't quite put my thumb, my finger on it where I was like grasping what I was putting together, but I was thinking like, you know, I would try to study some and, and then I would be like, this is bullshit. I don't even care. It looks like I can actually pass without even doing this. And then I did. I, I graduated in four years and that's all I was cared about doing. I skipped a lot of class. I got suspended a bunch. Had to switch schools once. Had, um, you know, I was. So you went to the school of hard knocks. I went to Oldham County High School, which is like 95% white, upper middle, richest county in the state of Kentucky. So, so heart- not the school of hard knocks. <laughs> not the school of hard knocks, full disclosure. Uh, um, but I was known as the pariah. I was like the troublemaker in my grade. I was the guy who was always getting in trouble and always, you know, I was 18 my entire senior year. I think I was put into a holding cell and held in jail, the Oldham County Jail, for a couple of days, twice during my senior year of high school. And then, you know, word spreads fast and it's like, oh my God, he's been in jail. And it's like, like I was like some type of bad boy. It was like two weed charges and I had a DUI for drinking a little, like less than two beers, nothing too crazy. Um, I did have possession of a fake ID in one of my three arrests. That was technically, I was being charged with a felony, but I was using it to buy beer. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like selling crack or anything like that, but I was recreationally using different drugs and, and people probably thought that I was doing more than I did, but I was partying and being irresponsible, but I was always kind of anarchist in a way. So you had a very live and let live kind of mentality of live free kind of mentality. I guess. Yeah, I guess. I didn't plan this out. I would think a lot of people do that. And one thing that I've noticed is... A lot of people like the idea of freedom as long as it's freedom on their terms in a way that they can agree to. Um, I think it's kind of a, uh, I think the scary part is where they can't imagine a society to where there's not somebody centrally controlling it, meaning that there's not a group of bureaucrats, lawmakers, whoever, government dictating who's going to, you know, take care of the roads, who's going to make, you know, the, the trains and the buses run on time. Mm. Who's going to make sure that, you know, crime is handled. Yeah. So they can't fathom that not being handled by a core group of people that they know that they can turn to, to solve the problem. And that's why you, with today's episode, what you are doing is you are tackling the actual premise of anarchy, which many people, if they're listening still in this part of the episode, if they haven't already turned it <laughs> off, <laughs> then they, they, they must be thinking they're actually talking about a proposal with no federal government. Okay, and it doesn't mean, Brian, that you or I are expecting that to happen. If we vote for Dave Smith in 2024, that'll happen. You know, no, I don't, he's not going to win. It's not going to, realistically, it won't happen. But, but the actual belief that to every single step of, of government, especially top down, federally and then down, that it's illegitimate. So we are, we are uh, discussing the topic of identifying as an anarchist philosophically, but actually the belief that a private system and more freedom could do it in a better way than what's currently being done spoiler alert for the for the audience just to make sure that they understand where we're coming from there's no assumption that anarchy will be achieved but what the paint the picture we're going to paint for them is going to be a society that still has order that still has boundaries it's just not going to be in the traditional sense in which you've, we've always known. So then every other part of your political uh, opinions and stances comes from a basis it's of not gonna it's be, all bullshit. There's not going to be this assumption of criminals running free, shooting people, raping people, yeah. stealing. That's not what it is at all. In other words, it's going to be empowerment. 
It's going to be understanding of boundaries, and it's going to be an understanding that there's going to be different areas that'll have different standards in other areas, and you're going to have to be comfortable with that. It's like saying if you go to one part of town, there are certain norms and standards that they abide by, whereas if you come to a different part of town, it'll be completely, it'll be a little bit different. It sounds far-fetched, okay, but follow me on this. Right now, Brian, if you're at your house, you live, you and I both live in Louisville, without giving details about exactly where we live. You are hanging out in your house. Someone breaks into your house. You like kind of see that they had just broken and you see as they're leaving with your computer. Okay. Like shit. Oh my God. You don't get, you don't shoot them. They're gone. Okay. You call the police right now. Louisville Metro Police Department. How long does it take for them to come out? If you're lucky, 30 minutes. Okay. Maybe it, maybe up to an hour, depending on the severity of the crime. Okay. It probably, they might even be an administrative where they're like, if nobody's hurt, we'll just file a report and we won't even send anybody out. <laughs> okay. Then you say, man, my entire business, my podcast, every single podcast I've ever had was on that computer. My entire career is in that computer. I'm fucked. And I say, officer who took an hour to come out, you guys are going to catch him, right? What do they say then? Uh, we'll do our best. We'll take, your, we'll take all your information down. We'll write a report, and we'll see what we can do. Okay. This sounds, this entirety of this anarcho-centric uh, conversation sounds far-fetched, but when you think of it, that exact story, and then you say, in our world that we're proposing, you would get a little bit better customer service I would than actually- that, than just that. Even if that's your premise, the most practical application of how a police could service you, maybe he then says... Oh, shit, I'm sorry that you did that for, um, we, we would love to open a, in our world, we would love to, we, they get there a little faster, maybe 10 minutes faster, maybe 15 minutes faster. Then they say, in order for us to actually do an investigation, it will be seventy nine ninety nine, Or some pri- privatized world where you at least have the option where they give a fuck about you, that you are their customer. So let's, let's actually rewind that. Let's, let's, let's uh, establish a premise here. Why would people even feel a criminal, let's just say. Why would a criminal even feel that it's optional to break into someone's home in an anarchic society? Mm. So let's think of it this way. We know why they do it now. Limited police, and typically speaking, gun ownership is 50-50 kind of. Right Which now. is the highest rate in the world. Right. <laughs> but, but let's but, just but say this. Yeah, and, and even, even the people who do have guns, they're normally not ready there, to shoot there, you. There, there's going to be certain neighborhoods that you're going to be less or more likely to feel like someone's going to come after you with a gun or not. Sure. You also know that the police response is not going to be the best. So if you wanted to be a criminal, who's, if your goal was to be a thief, you could probably, if you were clever enough, find a way to make it work if you were smart enough. Because of the limited police response and people's just general sort of apathetic sort of I'm not very violent, and I'm going to defer to law enforcement to handle these matters. If you're dealing in a free society where the impetus is on the individual for Mm self-defense, knowing that most neighbors, there's no gun laws, and if you start some shit, they have the right to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. So basically, you're now taking a gamble that, let's just say that, this society has been established now for a few years. Okay. We're well into it. People are allowed to have machine guns. The self-defense is a known thing. Sure. It's a very well-established thing. For you to be a thief and to break into someone's home, like that's Russian roulette at best. Fair. I, I, w- I would believe 
and I don't think it's a, a leap to believe that in the society where there are no gun laws, this shouldn't be a stretch to, to imagine that in a society with zero gun laws, there would be more of a likelihood of getting shot if you broke into someone's house. I know that's pretty simple, but yep. that concept because right there the shouldn't other, be hard to believe. So basically, according to the NAP, non-aggression principle, you have the right to use force when force has been initiated. Force is initiated when somebody trespasses, tries to steal, tries to hurt you. So, and there's a lot that we can hash out. It's not always going to be as just clean as that one simple No, but that, at its core, I think what we're tackling in today's episode is anarchy. And that means that we believe there is a better way to do all of it. Yeah, so the idea that you're going to have criminals running around freely doing whatever they want because there's no government police is an absolute misnomer. And, and, and should be maybe a little bit the other direction. It actually, absolutely. In the place be. that I would choose to live. Correct. So... Yeah, there's a lot to that, and I would even argue that it'll be that way in the world stage as well, that when you don't have a CIA and an FBI and a federal government in general meddling in the affairs around the world, we're not destabilizing and instigating violence and chaos Hopefully around not. the world. Hopefully there's not the private... Um, I think when you give power, power is consolidated into 330 million people who are all ruled by Congress and the Senate and, and the people behind the scenes... It, it leads to a very uh, dark, bad direction. Correct. And, and it doesn't lead to the idea of making things better for the, the people who are not in charge, but instead it makes it better for the people who are in charge, which doesn't necessarily help the people and who I are not in charge. And I think for next episode, what we can do is we can kind of start off with the premise of what anarchy is. Okay. And we can just kind of like take point for point I like how this, you feel about that stuff. I like this style. One thing I didn't uh, mention would be that I was raised Catholic, baptized as a little Catholic baby up in Athens, Ohio, and then I've always identified as Catholic. I did, however, after college, through college, kind of start to identify as an agnostic. Okay, Through COVID, and then over, I guess through meeting my wife, I've gotten back into church. So you have faith? You found faith? Yes. Good. I have. Um, and... For some reason, that topic intrigues me. And for some reason, I don't think it's coincidental, the entirety of the evolution. And for what it's worth, there are many Christians who are very pro-personal liberty, anti-government, not in the negative context, but they're also anarchists. There's a very large community of people who reject governance in any form that there's a saying, no king but Christ. Um, you can look in the Old Testament. God made it clear. You don't want a king. Kings are bad ideas. Follow me and me alone. He doesn't want us following other men. Mm -hmm. And that could it. probably be applied to other religions too. Exactly. So where I'm at now is that my boxing coach, Abdullah, is Muslim. He's awesome. Very family-oriented guy. He's got shit figured out, in my opinion. That's great. Let's get more Muslims. So I think a lot of the propaganda stuff has uh, fed into demonizing. What was it? In the Ger Germany, of course, they demonized the Jews. Uh, at a point in the United States, the Japanese was really demonized. But then through the, after September 11th, the, the Arabic uh, Muslim population uh, of the world, really, was, was demonized through propaganda, through our, our, our government. And I think the, that's, the, that's the, always the, the bad. The propaganda runs deep. I mean, I don't think, pe it's not until you've gone down this rabbit hole a little bit that you look back and you realize, wow, there's so much bad wiring going on. There's so much fundamental misunderstanding of how 
society is versus how society could be and why it is the way that it is. And I'll just also like to say that uh, for the next episode, I really kind of want to get into dispelling a lot of the misconceptions of what the goal is, because we're not going to try to convince everybody that we want complete anarchy next weekend. No. It's going to be an evolution. It's going to be a process. Are you okay on time? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. I was just going to mention that I think Sorry. that we just, just established that there's not going to be an assumption that we're going to flip a light switch Correct. and go to anarchy. There's going to be a process. I think that's a very important point. It's a it's a process that will have very and, a lot of variations to it. And what prompted this episode <laughs> is you calling yourself an anarchist and me questioning it. <laughs> and me calling myself an anarchist and me <laughs> touting RFK Jr. <laughs> Who's not an anarchist. Who's not an anarchist. He believes in government having a role, a very strong role in many ways. Yes. Especially with health care. Especially with health care. Gun laws. Gun laws. And I would even say in terms of law enforcement, he's a big proponent of law enforcement, Correct. which is why I'm not 100% convinced that he's actually going to reform the FBI in the way that he thinks will be meaningful. Okay. I can see him doing the CIA. Okay. But not the FBI. Okay. But many of them are a lot of the same people. He, his description of that is that he knows enough people who he feels he can put the right people in place, which is, of course, you know, silly. Um, but at least it's something. At least it's calling it. it, it my defense of him would be, <laughs> okay, yeah, I agree. It's not, the doesn't make sense. However... I'm voting for him now, looking forward to in March of 2024, voting for him in the Democratic primaries. I think it'll be against Biden. Do you think it'll be against Biden? I think Biden will be out. I, I think it'll be one of two things. Either Biden will get the nomination and then he'll drop out. He won't even get the nominate. He will not be the next president. I think there's a lot of different ways it could go, though. I'm, I mean, Gavin Newsom. I think Gavin Newsom is inevitably going to be the next president. Oh, my God. What was that? Uh, Christian series here, in the nineties with Carpathia. What was it? Why I see it? He just seems just like the devil. I think there's too many establishment Republicans that are on team big government, and uh, I don't think there's just enough. I think the establishment is just too big and too powerful right now. I think it's going to take some kind of a revolution or a secession to change anything. I don't think that Trump or DeSantis really are going to have a whole lot of power, and if by chance that the election system isn't so rigged i just don't see them having the power to do what they want to do within congress and the senate do you think desantis or trump would be better than gavin newsom or biden 100 oh, percent. but i mean better margin i mean i'm both ways i can i'm okay with accelerationism i'm okay with the left and the establishment completely dominating and pushing us to the envelope of break up and fight back and i'm completely okay with the idea of we just need to try to buy some I personally am of the opinion that I want to buy more time, win more hearts and minds, and eventually have a peaceful change in society. I would love for that to happen. Okay. I don't think that will happen, but I would love for that to happen. What I do see is happening is more totalitarianism taking over over time. And I think that if nothing else, it'll be our kids and our grandkids who are going to have to fight the last fight. But one topic is interesting is that I had the ability in the United States to have an outlet. And if two people are listening to today's episode or thousands, regardless, I have an outlet. Okay. And it goes on to Spotify and iTunes. Mm -hmm. And um, that topic really resonated with me with RFK. 
because we are allowed to have this podcast and I'm not even really scared of people finding out where I live or if the government wanted, they could be tracking me. I don't give a fuck, okay? There's not many countries- On a principal position, not because you agree with them tracking you, but just because you don't care that they hear what you say. I don't feel like they're going to come arrest me for this. Yeah. Correct. Now, Prince, yeah, of course, I'm anti the spying and all that. What I'm saying is we live in a country where we can still do this. Correct. Cuba, where my wife's from, or, you know, a lot of other countries. You're, informa- you're landlocked on information. Big time. Now, Canada, do you think there's radical podcast ep- episodes floating around out there? Like I've heard a lot of people from Canada say that they still have access to a lot of the same information that we do. It's just the difference in how they can publicly express that and share that and get that out. Like, they can Google Tucker Carlson just like we can, but maybe in terms of, like, the radio or... TV stations, there's restrictions and there's heavy censorship. Would, would you agree with the statement that the concern for the United States going forward is what's the next best, next country to us, which is Canada, a step to the left for the United States would look kind of like what Canada has going on. Yeah, but I think it's going to get worse. Because <laughs> we do have the big, gov- the I big, think, the big I think military. We, I think we have a bigger government with a lot more reach than Canada does in a lot of ways. Um, I think that, um, and again, this is all just, and I'm not worried about it the way that I used to be. I can honestly say that, first of all, who freaking knows? We can reflect back on this in 10 years from now, and it could be a lot better, or we could look back and think, holy crap, these were the best days that we had, the last days that we had left. Mm -hmm. So who knows? What I will say is, I think inevitably, it's going to come down to what do the people want. And right now I kind of think we're more than ever clearly divided between people who want something that resembles personal freedom and people who are like the government's got to be in control at all costs. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean we're left, right, or libertarian socialist. It just means that there's a lot more people that are willing to accept that, hey, I've got to be able to live my life to some degree the way that I want to versus the other types. And it's just going to be a matter of who wins out more. And I mean, like right now, you and I have more in common with people like Jimmy Dore, um, Joe Rogan, um, people that traditionally would be more on the left. Mm -hmm. They're more like us now. And then you've got people like Mitch McConnell, um, other people on the Republican side who are on the other side of that equation, who are more tota- who are more authoritarian. They want the establishment to have power. So it, doesn't, it really does not come down to red team, blue team. It comes down to people who want power versus people who want something that resembles freedom. It doesn't mean libertarianism. It just means some kind of freedom, some kind of like, I want to be able to make choices for myself and my family. And I think that's one of the most important things. All three of the people you referenced, Joe, you said Joe Rogan, Jimmy Dore, and who else, Glenn Green? Who did you say? Uh, I don't think I mentioned so, I just mentioned on the right that there was like somebody like Mitch McConnell. Okay, but very, on the left, you said Joe Rogan and Jimmy Dore. Correct. Okay, if we were to d- dive into their thoughts on public schools and... and or healthcare. Healthcare, okay. Those guys are like big, like socialists. Yes, very much so. Okay, Joe Rogan too. Well, and then Joe Rogan's also big on police and military and so forth. Yeah, so I mean, they, they, we differ with them ideologically, big um, time, right? I would, I would say what I think what gets me is I don't really mind the difference. What I mind is are they critically, are they thinking critically with an open mind and are they acting in good faith? That's what makes the difference. Sure. 
and somebody like RFK is acting in good faith okay. and seems to have an open mind, which I can work with. Now, after four years of RFK as the president, somehow if that were to happen, I understand that's a oof, long shot. Sure. Stranger things have happened. Yeah. Trump was pretty long shot. I mean, according to many at the beginning. Okay. So, of course, we would have many criticisms. JFK sent troops to Vietnam. Okay. So he was anti-war and all that, but I mean, if you go he back, was gonna, he was going to bring him back out. So. He was going to, but still, yeah, that that would be anti-our foreign policy type position, I right? I have no assumption that RFK is going to be the least, the most anti-war president we will have ever had. I think there's going to be always a different war that will be justified in some way that he will be lied to or coerced in some way. Who knows with this guy? What I do believe is that if he were president, which I don't think he will be, but if he were president, the one thing I would at least be looking forward to is how he works with people of good faith that are genuinely interested in accountability mm-hmm. within bureaucracies sure. yep. and at least trying to rein in the administrative state. Love it. I think that would be very interesting to see how that works. And then policy. How do they hash out policy on both sides? Because I, I can see... I can legitimately say that I think he's as close to a true independent as there would be. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I agree, hundred percent. He's going to work with Republicans and Democrats for better policy. Now, a lot of it I probably won't agree with, mm-hmm. but at least it's probably going to be in good faith. Uh, thousand percent uh, agree. Very well put. I am almost finished with the Fauci book. RFK uh, released a book in twenty twenty one. The real Anthony Fauci. Um, and through that book, I have learned a lot, which I've watched a lot of interviews also, and I've learned that he's not being sued for what he said in this book. No lawsuits, okay? That's what my lawyer buddy said too. It's like RFK, for him to be saying the same the things that he's saying and not being sued for it. He's not being sued. Trust me. They would like to take him down. Trust me. But what he's saying is the pharmaceutical country uh, uh, industry for companies run – in large part, our country, okay? So if, if if that's not an example of someone calling out corruption and, and tackling it head on and saying Bill Gates is evil as can be, Fauci, Warren Buffett, these guys are all evil and all they care about is money no matter what they say, um, okay? Money control. Money, yeah, yes. Money is what, what runs uh, everything and trying to put a happy face on Bill Gates like being a humanitarian and shit like that. But it, the fact that he is calling that out makes me say, like, yeah, what, what else? I mean, it, it, absent of uh, Ron Paul or Dave Smith actually being president, which th- is even more of a long shot than RFK, right? I think that if RFK were to ever rise enough to become a threat, you'll see a change in how they treat him. And I don't mean that in a good way. How, who treats him? The media and the government. <laughs> Let's just say that no, I'm not talking about assassination, but I am saying that. Oh yeah, will, that's there, way there, off the table. There will huh? be a well, no, it's not <laughs> off the table. I mean, if they could have assassinated anybody, they would have taken out Trump. Let's be honest. I mean, I think that. Okay, okay. I believe in assassinations, but I don't necessarily believe it rises to the level that people joke about. I okay. think that that's kind of like there's a whole different thing behind that. I think that they do that in certain situations, more subgroup type of people. I don't necessarily think that the, there's any president or vice president or anybody calling the shots on heads and shit like that. Um, I think with RFK, what you're going to see is a more concerted effort on behind uh, the media and the political establishment to get rid of him, to smear him. Aren't we already seeing that? Yeah. Well, no, more so. I mean, 
Somehow they're going to dig up his grandfather was associated with anti-Semitism. Now all of a sudden he's a Nazi. Imagine what they did to Trump, Tulsi Gabbard, and a couple other people. And exponential tenfold. Okay. I think you're going to see if he gains power because he could be a threat. Because the difference between him and Trump is I think he could actually bring more people over from the left, from the establishment side that they need and that dips into their pot of power. So if he, he's more of a threat to Trump, if he can peel off those people, he's legitimately a threat. Okay. And if he doesn't become president, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to look back and regret my enthusiasm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. These are conversations that I think actually are great to bring to the left. Like, Hey, why don't you like this guy? Oh, He's anti-vax and that scares you? I think on Okay, a, I at think least I'm, read his book and then tell me your thoughts. I think on a principal position, I'm not that excited about him. I appreciate him, but I'm not excited. Okay. Because in, in terms of principle, he's not saying or doing anything. They knew not anybody else from the Liberty side or any other. I mean, Justin Amash, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, other sure. people have already gone into great detail about. Sure. It's just good that it's coming from somebody from a different corner of the political spectrum who's coming out and being a little bit more red-pilled and a little bit more, you know, speaking against, you know, the narrative on that stuff, which I can definitely appreciate. He's making, giving the left a chance to say, guys, (laughs) you want the entire country to not think you're a psychopath anymore? At least take this Kennedy guy and and hear what he has to say. In the same way it kind of took Trump and a couple other people to speak out against the war, it might take somebody like RFK to speak out against the healthcare vaccine slash NIH, that whole conglomerate of group of people who are pushing big pharma to control everything else. 100%. Brian, it's, it's been a great episode. We could go on and on. And we will. Event- we'll do soon. another one of these soon. I am always uh, appreciative of your input. And I've said to you before that even if we keep doing these and literally zero people listen, I think it's good because we're working, th- you know, we're, we're addressing uh, um, important concepts to me. Now, some people can hear this and say, you're wasting your time. Okay. A lot of people will, right? You guys are voting libertarian and you're, now you're a Democrat and you're, okay, what? what it's not a, a waste of time if the two of us are getting value out of it. We're, we're engaged and, and, and we legitimately want what's best for our kids and our grandkids and ourselves. Uh, uh, without any shame to that. Um, and this is the way these type of conversations are what we think are the type of direction that, you know, right now we should be at least entertaining. So I appreciate you coming on. If anyone's interested in following you or, or do you want to plug I your... I don't even do social... <laughs> I barely do anything anymore. So You've anybody, got... anybody who knows anything about me knows about me on Facebook. I, mean, I, just, I just watch people randomly on Twitter. I'm not real... I'm if not some anymore. random person wanted to follow you on Facebook... Could they? I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, if they just want to friend up with me, if, if they know you, they can find me. Okay. Brian Fox. Okay. And you do at least watch things on Twitter, but you don't tweet. I don't tweet. I but don't. you do watch things on Twitter. Yes. Okay. I'm just I'm just following now. I don't I, I don't have any desire to be a part of the conversation. Who do you hope is the presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party in 2024? Do you care? At this point, there's nobody that's piquing my interest, but I haven't heard a lot of names being floated yet. Are you off the Dave Smith bandwagon? Uh, I was never on. I don't think he was ever too serious, but I think he was trying to make a point. I would like to think that he would put his money where his mouth is if it was necessary. I think it would be interesting if he did it. I don't think it's going to come to that. I think that there's going to be a reputable person 
of some sort that will eventually put their hat in. They will be supported. Justin Amash? Who knows? Former congressman? I've heard of two to three names floated, and to be honest with you, none of them are anybody that I've ever thought, wow, that'd be a great name. And um, the problem with the Libertarian Party is also because if we do get some kind of a lesser-known person, we're running to catch up to get their name out there. And somebody on Twitter recently said something that I agree with a thousand percent is eventually the Libertarian Party needs to rearrange things to where they nominate somebody the year before so they have a whole year to campaign sure. to get their name out. Because waiting until May or June or whenever it is, and then having three or four months to to get exposure, it's like you're just you're you're behind that you're behind the eight ball. So um, who it's going to be, I have no idea. I mean. At this point, I'm less. I'm really not concerned about who's going to be president. To be honest, with you. I'm more concerned about the direction of things, and I'm more concerned about what the people are choosing and what the people are willing to do to be a part of the solution as opposed to the problem. Like, for instance, I'll just say this: Matt Walsh and certain other conservatives doing documentaries, "What Is a Woman," and raising narratives and arguing in favor of cultural change are doing more than the, more harm than good. Absolutely, they're doing more good than. So the transgender in school topic. I think that has been a huge wake up call for a lot of people. Something that I don't think the Libertarian Party ever even fathomed. What do you mean by huge wake up call? Because I think there's more to it than many would. When they hear that, I don't I think, think they grasp what they're saying. I think it's. I think it's activating and galvanizing a lot of people who were very apathetic, who thought that there was too much hysteria originally in politics, and now they realize there's something real going on. Um, I think it's a very real concern for people to be involved with, and I think it's going to serve as the catalyst for a lot of people to become more in tune and engaged and concerned, which is I think is always a good thing. I think. Um, so, what, why did you mention Matt Walsh? Just because he's normally a person who I would think would just be limited to conservative circles, but now he's more in the mainstream. A lot more people are aware of who he is and the work that he's doing. I don't agree with him on a lot of things. I agree with him maybe fifty fifty. So okay. He was really good on the lockdowns, more so than the Libertarian Party at the time. Is he? He's the um, who's the bearded guy who makes the video about what is a woman? That's Matt Walsh. Matt, well, okay, that's what I thought. And he was connected to Kentucky at one point, I think. I don't really know. I think at one um, point he was, he was in Lexington. There's a, he's with the Daily Wire, which is also Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and those other more Republican type people. So he, I wouldn't even say he's a Republican. He's a conservative. He's so you, a culture conservative. Okay, so his his what is a woman documentary? All the videos he makes talking Correct. about the transgender stuff. Correct. You think that's a net negative for society? No, the tra- no. I think that's a net positive. I think that's a, I think he's bringing more value to the discourse to the political discussion in oh, terms okay. of advancing good ideas and advancing putting out something out there for people to really engage with for the normal person who's just minding their own business to realize hey they're coming after kids with sexualization okay this is not cool that's good it's getting people involved getting people triggered you know i, it, li- I like people getting triggered and it sets off a chain reaction where exactly. then the democrat teachers now all are on team pro tranny Okay. <laughs> in the same way that you were affected because businesses you resonate with you with COVID. Yes. I think coming for the kids with this transgender shit is affecting a lot of other people who normally might have just been kind of like, okay, I'm just going to mind my own business and try to raise my kids and do the best I can. And now when you realize schools and hospitals and the government are not going to let you be the parent that you want to be, that's a problem. 
And I think that's very good for people to wake up and realize government is not your friend. And just trying, okay, would you have criticisms for Ron DeSantis and maybe the, the Matt Walsh crowd for trying to then implement their version of what a public school should be in Florida? Would it, is there something to the argument I'm describing there that there, there's a problem with you then forcing your cultural norms onto the public schools and that's your solution? That's, you a, that's a whole other episode. Okay. Okay. I love it. I want to thank you once again, Brian, for coming on. Also, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, we will have soon out another episode of The Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you. 